morning, church. Great to see everybody this morning. If you're visiting with us, we sure welcome you. And uh, we're going to spend some time worshiping the Lord together. But before we do, I was reminded about the shoeboxes. I wanted to remind you guys, um, Operation Christmas Child, those shoeboxes that we're packing. Um, if you have um, one of those, you want to be participating in that, uh, then we have until uh, November 13th to get those boxes in. If you have any questions about what you can put in the box or not, just get a hold of the church office and uh, they can get you a list of what goes in those boxes. Samaritan Purse takes those boxes and uses them to spread the gospel. And it's just a wonderful ministry. There's quite a few of them out there on that desk already been put in, but uh, if you guys want to be a part of that, uh, we encourage you to do that. Uh, man, it has been beautiful weather, has it not? Cobalt blue skies, 70 something degrees. Every time the weather gets like this, especially for <laughs> extended period like we're having right now, uh, you can't help but think of the Lord. You can't help but think of his beauty, his wonder and creation. Uh, but also just Christ, right, and our salvation and everything that goes with that. So that's what we want to sing about this morning. We'll lift his name high. Let's all stand. Let's worship the Lord together.
give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only.
all have a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we remember this morning that you sought us when we were strangers. We also remember that we're prone to wonder. And Lord, we're thankful that you're faithful and that you're patient with us. And Father, we ask this morning, Lord, that as we've sung your word, you've been glorified. And now, Lord, as we hear your word, you will be glorified. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys may be seated. This morning, we have the, uh, the privilege of hearing from a dude that wears really awesome shoes. <laughs> right? This guy wears some awesome shoes. And I'm glad you wore them this morning. Um, guys, this is Van Cook. He's one of our elders here at Grace Community. And uh, we look forward to hearing from him this morning. Our beloved pastor is uh, working hard at the beach. And uh, he, uh, Sydney and Luke Bonner, they are now officially the Bonners. And um, yeah, yeah, so. So Thad was officiating their wedding yesterday. And uh, fam, we look forward to what the Lord has for us this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Well, good morning, Grace Community Church. You know, Thad Vollen told me about a month and a half ago, he said, Van, he said, uh, October 2nd, you're preaching. And I said, uh, okay. And, you know, Thad gave me that look that Thad gives you real funny, like he said, is that okay? And I was like, well, I guess it's okay. It would have been better than going to Corey and asking him because Corey would have said, Van, you're preaching on the 2nd. And Corey would have said, I would have said, let me pray about it, Corey. And Corey would have said, I already have, and God said, you are. You know, because that's what he does. So I don't know. I've got a lot to cover this morning, so we probably need to get into it uh, uh, as quickly as we can. Uh, I told the guys I had a lot to cover. And uh, they told me very quickly, they said, Van, you can preach as long as you want to. They said, but at noon, we're turning the lights off and the sound, and we're going home. So, uh, so that's what I've got to expect from our crew that we work with back there. <clears throat> this morning I want to talk to you about practical faith. Uh, first of all, I want to tell you this, based on what B said, I've been reading this scripture this week, uh, that this is, the Lord to, this is the day the Lord hath made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. So it's a good day no matter what you're going through, no matter what kind of problems you're having, no matter what kind of difficulties. Because of our relationship with Christ, we're able to live above the circumstances that are in our lives. We don't live day to day based upon what's going on around us. We live day to day based upon the hope that we have in the future. And that's what I want to talk to you about is our practical faith. We're going to look at 1 Peter 3.15 uh, and uh, we're going to read that in just a moment. But uh, before we do, I want to give you just uh, uh, kind of a little background of Peter and what Peter was, uh, who he was writing to and why he was writing. When Peter wrote First Peter, uh, Nero was the emperor, and Nero was really, really into building. So what Nero did is he decided, I want to build a lot, so he decided, I think I'll burn Rome down. So he burnt Rome down, and he burnt everything the Romans love, everything they cherish, he burnt to the ground. Their idols, their places of worship. Uh, you know, which were idol worship mainly and stuff like their homes, some of their families were burned up. So, you know, they were kind of uh, hostile towards Nero and uh, kind of upset. Well, Nero had a great idea. He said, 
since you're so hostile towards me, he said, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to blame it on the Christians. I think the Christians burnt this place down, not me. So the Christians were already not liked because they were uh, against Rome. They didn't have anything to do with what Rome had to do with. So the Christians became the scapegoat uh, for Nero. Uh, Peter was written to strengthen the Christians uh, who were probably Gentiles, more of them than not, and instruct them on how to live victoriously without losing hope and by trusting the Lord. So when you're facing difficult circumstances in a hostile world, the greatest hope we have is our salvation in Jesus Christ. And that is what I want to talk to you about this morning. But let's first read the word and then let's pray. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, we just ask you to uh, just bless this morning. Father God, we ask you that uh, you would take any words I have to say and let them fall to the ground, Lord. Lord, uh, I pray that only your message would come through, and I pray, God, that you would uh, help me to uh, teach exactly what you've shown me in the past uh, few weeks as I've studied your word. And Father God, I pray that you would get all the glory for these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, we're going to talk about three different things. We're going to talk about the fellowship of faith, we're going to talk about the foundation of faith, and we're going to talk about the future of faith. Let me get y'all caught up here right there. So those are the three things we're going to talk about with a lot of sidelines in between all of that. <clears throat> Again, the theme for First Peter was Christian hope in the time of trials. And the Christians were being persecuted even for doing good a lot of times. You know, there was a time that uh, even in this country, you never expected to be persecuted for doing what was right. You might be persecuted for doing what was wrong, but for doing what's right, you never expected that. But now we may be persecuted for standing up for what's right. If you stand up for what marriage is, you might get per persecuted. If you stand up for a baby's life, you might get persecuted. If you stand up for um, that there's only male and female, you may get persecuted in this world today. And as a matter of fact, they may turn it around and say, you really hate people. Well, that's totally the opposite of what the Christian life is about, and you know that if you're a believer. That that has nothing to do with um, what the Christian life is. So let me try to get us caught up here wherever I'm at. Already been there, so let's go right here. Okay, when we talk about sanctifying the Lord God in our heart, we're talking about separating the Lord and not giving him a part of our heart, but giving him all of our heart. The amazing thing is, I think a lot of people like to segregate their Christianity from the rest of their life. And they like to say, well, this is the God part of my heart, and this is the work part of my heart, this is the play part of my heart, but what God wants you to do is give you all of his heart. All of your heart is what he wants you to do. To sanctify uh, means to set apart Lord as God of your life. The heart is the sanctuary where we worship God. You may think we came here to worship the Lord this morning, and we did. But if you're not worshiping the Lord seven days a week, 24 hours a day, then you're missing out because God has so many things for you. God has so many things to teach you. God has so many things to take you through. Uh, we don't want to 
worship him with part of our heart, but we want to worship him with our entire heart, and we want to separate our heart from profane things. That's things of this world. Because God's things are not things of this world. Um, Let's go to the next one right here. The heart is commonly used in Scripture to refer to the mind, the thought, the reason, but it also includes emotion, and it also includes the will of a person. It affects our speech, our sight, our hearing, and our conduct. Everything about us is affected by our heart. Uh, so it's not just the physical heart that's pumping in the body that it's talking about right here. It's talking about your very being, your very soul, everything you are and all that you should be if you're in Christ. So we need to remember that each and every day when we get up, that we belong to God, we're to separate our hearts to God. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And that means whatever we put into our hearts, and that includes our minds, is what we get out of it. So, you know, I was taught uh, when I very first started playing with computers that if you put garbage in, all you get is garbage out, right? So what we want to be doing is putting good things into our heart, and that means our mind, that means our body, that means our wills, that means our speech, that means everything we need to, that we want to do, we want to put into our hearts. It's our conduct that affects everything that we do as a believer. So where is the place of fellowship? He's already told us it's in the heart. Um, we want to move on to that. And John 4:23, and that actually. Uh, went to this and uh, Jesus was talking to a woman at the well and uh, he knew a lot of things about um, this woman hang on just a second let me get I've got some water down here he knew that she had been married before <clears throat> he knew uh, exactly everything she did as a matter of fact she said let me tell you about a man that uh, told me everything I ever did. So in John 4, 23, she says to him, actually, let me start in 4, 19. She says, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on the mountain. You Jews say that is in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And in verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, uh, worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now it is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such worshipers for him. God is spirit, and those who worship him worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, what... Um, Jesus was talking about here, when he was talking about that, he was talking about we worship the Father with our spirit. We worship the Father internally. It's focused on worshiping God in all that we do. Spirit and truth means we also worship him with things that are true, and the truth is only found in the Word of God. So we're going to get to that in just a minute, but to get the truth, we have to get to the Word. And then Paul was talking to the Corinthians, and he was talking to them about their bodies being the temple, and he was talking to them specifically about um, being pure uh, as refers to uh, sexual sin and stuff like that. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, he says, Do you not know 
that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we're actually portable temples walking around everywhere we go. We represent God in all that we do. We're ambassadors for Christ. When we step out of our homes or out of our jobs or anywhere that we're at, when we step into our jobs, we're representing Christ. Paul went on to say this. He says, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The objective of every believer should be to glorify God and to glorify God in everything that we do. The question before us is, are we glorifying God? Are we doing what we want to do? It's hard to do. It's difficult to do. We're busy. Our lives are busy. But since our bodies are portable temples, then we need to be focused on the fact that everywhere we go, we're representatives of Christ and who he is. And when they look at me or they look at Corey, they say he's a believer. And they hold us accountable to a higher standard than somebody who does not. If we do something that's wrong, they look, oh, he's supposed to be a Christian. He just did that. Well, if you're not a Christian, they don't even pay any attention to it. So we may be persecuted even selectively for the things that we do. The other thing that we want to understand is the uh, temple that we live in is also a place of sacrifice. That we need to, you know, animal sacrifice is no longer happening. It did not happen after Jesus became our perfect sacrifice on the cross. But Paul in Romans said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. This is what you ought to do. And it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Yield your body to the Lord as a sacrifice. That's what we need to do. And um, the word here, um, reasonable, is Greek for logic. It means it's logical. Why is it logical for us to give our bodies over to God? Why is it logical? Well, Paul just spent 11 chapters in the book of Romans, and he's telling us in those 11 chapters that God loves you. God is no longer holding the law over you. He's freed you from the law. He's given you the faith uh, through Jesus Christ, the Savior. He's uh, given you sonship. He's delivered you from being slaves of sin to being slaves of God and slaves of Jesus, which is a good thing. So he had just told them that. So it's just reasonable. And when he says, I beseech you, he means I'm coming alongside you. He says, I'm with you. It's, it's me too. Paul says, you know, I need to present myself as a living sacrifice before God. He says, I need to understand the mercies that God's done for me. So that word beseech is really important. You know, there's two ways you can relate to people. One is you can walk towards them and they can walk past you. And you don't get much of a relationship that way. But if you see somebody walking and it's Kevin walking down the, uh, the hallway and I want to talk to Kevin instead of me just saying, hey, Kevin, I'm going to turn around, I'm going to walk with him. I'm walking alongside him. That's the idea here is that you're walking alongside uh, the Lord. You know he's in your body. You know that you're the temple. You know that you've got sonship. You know that you're a sacrifice to the Lord. You know all these things. So the challenge to us is to understand 
that this is a place of sacrifice to the Lord, and it's reasonable. And it says, because we're not our own, that we owe our bodies and everything we do and all of the things that we represent to the Lord because of what he's done for us, not because of anything we've done. Now, we want to move on to the command of fellowship. The command of fellowship you've heard before. Jesus said this himself. There were experts in the law, and they were trying to trip Jesus up. You know, they had all these different laws, and, and these guys are like, what kind of question can we come up to the Lord? And they didn't call him the Lord, but to this guy, this prophet, this guy who thinks he's something, that'll trip him up. And they said, okay, well, I got an idea. And they, in Matthew 22, 37, they said, let's ask him what the greatest commandment is. Well, they asked him what the greatest commandment was. And Jesus immediately said, and by the way, this was already uh, in the Old Testament. They should have understood this. But Jesus, it was in De Deuteronomy, and maybe in other places. It's at least in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think, verse 5. But uh, Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. It's the biggest commandment we've got is to put God in our hearts and to love him. So to say that my body is a temple to the Lord and to say it's a place I'm going to offer sacrifice to the Lord and I'm going to give him all of my heart does very little good unless we love the Lord. And if we don't love the Lord, that means agape love him the way he loves us unconditionally understanding that all he does is for our good and everything he challenges us with each and every day is for our better good or the people around us because the second thing he said on that he the guys didn't ask him what the second commandment was but he says and the second is likened to this and he said to love your neighbor as yourself right so jesus says it's important you got this vertical relationship with the lord he said it's very important you need to sanctify them in your hearts. You need to set them apart as God, as holy God, by the way. He's not just your buddy. He is a holy God. He is a holy and merciful God, and he loves you. So you set him apart as God and as your Savior, and you love him, but you need to love your neighbors too. It's not just about the vertical relationship in our life here on this earth. The reason we're here is also for horizontal relationships. We relate to one another. Did you know the first four commandments and the Ten Commandments talk about your relationship with the Lord? Do you know what the next six commandments talk about? Your relationship with each other. Bruce knows he's doing this right here. He's going, it's with everybody else, right? And we know that, and we should know that, and we should respect the fact that God loves us, we love God, and therefore we should love others in an agape manner, and that means unconditional. That means without looking at somebody and going, you know, uh, you know, Corey's okay, but I just don't like this about Corey because it don't matter if I like it about you, Corey. God has made me love you. God made me love you when I first saw you. It's weird, isn't it? Two guys loving each other sounds weird. But I love Corey, and I love each one of you. I prayed for you guys for weeks. I prayed that everybody that was going to be here today, everybody that was going to hear this word, that it would be God's word and that it would go directly into your hearts and it would challenge you to live lives that are worthy of the Savior that we serve. So it's important not only that we sacrifice to the Lord, it's important that we understand that we're portable temples. Everywhere we go, we represent Jesus Christ and we represent him as our Savior. 
We represent him as a holy God. And we're not doing it in fear, but we're doing it out of reverence for the fact that he loves me. Um, there's another thing. Jesus was talking. Uh, well, let me, do, let me do this first. No, let me go ahead and go there. Jesus, Jesus was talking to uh, some people in a parable about, you know, worrying about the things of this world in Matthew chapter 6. And he was talking to them about worrying about what you're going to eat, worrying about what you're going to wear, worrying about, you know, what you're going to do to take care of yourself. And he said, you don't need to worry. In Matthew 6, he said, what you need to do is you need to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. So what Jesus said is there's a priority in your worship, and there's a priority in what you do. And the priority is to seek God's kingdom, his righteousness, and then all these things you're worrying about every day, work, um, studies if you're in school, friends, children, wives, husbands, grandparents, older parents, they should come secondary because you have a father in heaven that loves you and he is challenging you to put him as the priority in your life because he's going to take care of you. He's going to handle the things of it. He says, um, uh, seek the first the kingdom of God. And when he talks about this, this is the entire sphere of salvation. This is the rule of the believer's heart, if you want to take it down to what it really means. It means what rules your heart should be Jesus Christ. Matthew 6, is not just talking about stuff. It's talking about a relationship. It's talking about priority. It's talking about making him the most important thing in your life. So, you know, we think of it often as, saying, hey, God will take care of us. God will provide for us. As a matter of fact, Philippians 4.19 says, he will provide according to his riches in heaven is the way he'll provide for you. So we don't have to worry about provision. Does that mean we're going to be rich? No. Does that mean we're going to be happy the way the world sees happiness? Nope. But does it mean we can have joy in the midst of things that are going on? Yes. It means no matter what's going on in your life, you can praise God for this day because it's the day that the Lord has made. And it says, and we, you know, will give him glory. We will give him glory. God will provide for us. He'll take care of us so we don't need to worry about each and everything that we do each and every day. We just need to worry about our relationship with the Lord. When you get up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? Pick up your phone and you check your emails, right? No. You pick up your phone and you go to your Bible app and you look at the verse of the day, right? That's what you do. Because you don't have to read the whole Bible every morning. All you got to do is take a verse and let the Lord plant it in your heart. And then you meditate on it day, uh, the entire day. And what you've done when you got up in the morning then is you've seeked first God. You've given him first place in your morning. You've given him the most important time, which is the first view of your eyes on anything. It's a real temptation for me every morning to get up and to look and to see some technical thing I got going on, like, you know, how much energy is my solar system producing, or how much, uh, you know, is all my home control working correctly? I'm a real technical geek. I live in 
technical purgatory most of my life, you know. So uh, there's always something technical going on. My wife has already said that if something happens to me first and I go, she says, I'm going to have to move because nothing will work. <laughs> I think it'll work for a while, honey. As a matter of fact, I'm going to have to say a few things to you. So, that's, uh, so we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's one of the most important things we can do. And uh, if you hadn't got a Bible app, it's a great way to do it. A better way is pick up your Bible and underline something. But I love the Bible apps because someday the verse that comes up on that app is exactly the verse I needed for that day. Occasionally it's not, but some days it's really good. It's really exactly what I needed, and it's really exactly what I expected. So there's a command for us to separate God, for us to love him with all our heart. There's a command for us to sanctify the Lord God in our heart and offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. Uh, there's this idea of giving him first place in our life that's put forth in Matthew 6.33 where we're seeking first his kingdom. And that means giving him, like I said, the rule of our hearts, the rule of our entire hearts. It belongs to you, God. These ideas are good ideas for believers because they're put forth by the word of God. We need to do that. But how often should we do that? I mean, should we just do it when I pull out my Bible app in the morning? I mean, I've got to tell you, there's been days that I've gotten in bed at night and I've went, man, how much did I seek the Lord today? I'm going, not much, Lord. Did I pray at lunch? Yeah, I prayed at lunch. I don't even know what I prayed. Did I pray at breakfast? Yeah, I prayed at breakfast. I'm not sure. Maybe I prayed the same thing I always pray. But there's been those days. But then there's been other days that I have glorified God all day long and thanked him for the fact that the sky is blue and that I'm breathing. Thanked him for the wife that I've had for 41 years. Thank them for the fellowship that I have with other believers in this church. The people that are in my small group on Sunday nights are just instrumental. They promised me they would pray for me this week. And many of them have come up to me and told me they were praying for me. I've had people in this church send me texts and say, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm really counting on you this morning. I'm going, well, I'm glad you are because I need it. You know, I mean that. I mean, I told uh, George Moran, he said, what are you preaching on? And I said, I'm preaching on practical faith. And he said, really? He says, I'm teaching on the theory of practical faith in January. Like it's a theory. <laughs> but what is the frequency of our fellowship? How often should we do it? Well, if you look in the book of Thessalonians, it puts forth this and it says, pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That means we should be in a constant state of prayer and all that we do. And I don't know if you guys do this, but I do this. I talk to the Lord all the time. I'll be out mowing the grass, and I'll stop to take a little bit of a break. And, you know, I'll just say, man, it's hot out here, Lord. And then all of a sudden, a cool breeze comes. I give God the credit. I'm like, thank you, God, for the breeze. I'm sitting in the shade right now. I'm drinking some water. I don't say, oh, what a coincidence. The breeze just came along. You know, I just give God the glory, is what I'm saying. And y'all say, well, you know, God doesn't just do everything. It's not a vending machine God, and I know that. I understand that. I completely agree with that, that some people think that what I do is I go to the Lord when I'm praying, and I've got this big machine, and at the top of it, it says, God, I want a Coke, and oh, by the way, I want it to be diet. Uh, and how about a little bit of vanilla in that? Boom, that's my prayer, and that's what we want to come out at the bottom. 
doesn't work that way. The more you give God your life, the more you submit to God, the more you begin to understand God, the more you begin to do the things that God wants you to do, and your heart is more like God's heart. It's less like your heart. So when you sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and you give him your heart, and you give him all your heart, it means that God is the focus of everything you do, and just like you want to make anybody on this earth that you love happy, you want to make God happy. Do I make God happy all the time? Absolutely not. I mean, he looks at me sometimes and goes, man, you know, I'm glad that uh, I'm a God of grace. I'm glad that I'm a God of mercy, because you're a mess, man. I mean, he does that. He, I'm sure he probably looks at some of you that way sometimes. Um, it's just that God has called us to have a relationship with him. And part of our relationship with the Lord is prayer. Not only part of it, I believe it's something that we should be doing every day. I believe it's something that we should be doing constantly. Colossians 3.23 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord as not unto men. So along with that idea of praying all the time, you say, well, you know, I can't constantly be praying. I've got to work. You know, I've got to be over here on this assembly line or I've got to manage these people. You know, Hank's at Honda. There's a lot of people at Honda, Hank, right? And you probably have to see over a few people. And, and, and you know, you just can't constantly be praying and certainly can't be praying with your eyes closed. But you know what? You can do whatever you do as unto the Lord. You can give God glory for everything you do. So no matter what you're doing, you do it heartily. And you do it knowing that people are looking at you, they're watching you, and they're expecting you to do what a Christian would do, whatever that is. It's different for each one of us, I know that. God's given us all different gifts. And we respond differently to the things that God has put in our hearts. But glorifying God is something he's given us all that we should do. And we should do it 24-7 all the time. You know, I'll be trying to find something. And used to, I'd look and I'd look and I would look for something. Couldn't find it. And, you know, then finally I'd ask Joyce where it was at and everything. And um, at some point in time I said, I wonder if I just pray about it. God, you know where this is. Could you show me where it's at? Well, I found it a lot of times because of that. So now guess what? Not just on when I lose something, but when I do anything that's a little bit difficult, I give it to the Lord. And I try to give it to him right then and right quick. God, i got to make this decision at work. It's yours. Tell me what I need to do. Give me some kind of an indication as to what I should do that would give glory to you and that would make this something that's not for me uh, alone, but it's beneficial for you or maybe for the people around me. So I'll let the Lord start to speak to me. At first, you don't hear God in everything that you do because you don't understand who God is. Even though you're studying the Word and even though you're asking God for direction, if you don't talk to Him a lot, it's difficult to understand that He's talking to you. It's just like if I picked up the telephone today and I called Daniel on the telephone. I said, hey, Daniel, what's happening? What's going on? And I said, what you been doing today? And I talked to him for a good while and and, and I discussed with him what I've been doing this weekend. At some point in time, Daniel's going to go, who is this? And I'm going to go, it's Van, man. You know me. I'm from church. He's like, you never call me. I never hear from you. I, I didn't recognize your voice. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I understand. So then I start calling Daniel every single week, and I call you, and I talk to you, and I ask you questions, I ask you how your day is going, and, and I tell you how my week's been, and, and, and uh, you know, we're getting to know each other, and, and he starts to go, he's really weirder than I thought he was, and, and, and you know, we're just kind of clicking. And then I call him on the phone, and I say, hey, Daniel, what's happening? He'll say, oh, nothing much, man, what's going on? Because he recognizes my voice. He recognizes the fact that it's me that's on the phone with him. Well, it's the same way with God. If you talk to him on a regular basis, if you give him glory for everything that you do, if you give him glory in everything and in every way, then you're going to understand when it's God talking to you because he lives in your heart, because you're expressing the love of God to the people around you, because he's not just a little bit of your heart, he's all of your heart. To sanctify the Lord and your God, God in your heart is to make him holy in your heart. To understand he's not just my buddy, although he is a friend, but he is a holy God that I submit to, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. And I'm accountable to him for everything that I do. And one day I'm going to stand before him, even as a believer, I'm going to stand before him, but not for my sins. I'm going to stand for him, before him for the things I've done here on this earth. Uh, but not as a believer, uh, not as to whether my salvation is uh, valid or not. Okay, well, we've talked about the frequency of fellowship. We've talked about the command of fellowship, to love him. We've talked about the sacrifice of fellowship, which is to sacrifice your body to the Lord God Almighty. Uh, we've talked about all these things, and we're talked about giving God your entire heart. But there's another thing that we need to be certain of. And that is the test of fellowship. If you're not fellowshipping with God on a regular basis, all of the time, if he's not constantly in your heart and you've been justified by his blood, you need to ask yourself, do I really belong to him? I'm not asking you to be insecure in your salvation. I'm secure in mine. I know that, I, I, that the Lord loves me. I know that the Lord has died on the cross for me. And I know that his blood uh, covers my sins. But in 2 Corinthians 13, this was a test for the Corinthians to see if their faith was in Christ. What they were doing is they were accusing, some of Paul's adversaries were accusing him of not being an authentic apostle. That's what they were doing. They said, you're not really an apostle. You're not authentically an apostle. We know who the apostles were, and we don't consider you one of them. So what Paul decided to do is to challenge them to affirm their genuineness in the faith rather than his genuineness in the, uh, uh, as an apostle. So he said this to him. He said, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Does that sound familiar? That your bodies are a temple, that Jesus Christ is in you, that he lives inside you? He says, unless you indeed fail the test. So if Jesus is not in you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you don't love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, if you don't give him first place in your life, if you don't seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if you don't think the sphere of your salvation is Christ ruling your heart, then maybe, just maybe, you don't know him. But man, if you get up in the morning and you're like, man, I just can't wait to see what scripture he has for me today. Man, I can't wait to pray with my wife today. You know, I can't wait to just tell God thank you for another day. Then 
you know, maybe he's in your heart. And, you know, we have uh, communion here on a pretty regular basis, and we're asked to examine ourselves in communion. Well, it's not specifically to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, but you could. It's more to examine yourself to see if there's any unconfessed sin in your life and things that will help uh, and other reasons. But we're not talking about communion today. But we do want to say there is a test of this fellowship. So, fellowship with God is important. Fellowship with the Lord is important. Giving him all of your heart is important. Sanctifying the Lord in your heart is very important. But the next point we want to go to is the foundation of our faith. And this is where we get to where the rubber meets the road, and that's the Word of God. The foundation of our faith is the Word of God. Remember, uh, it said in uh, the book of John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word, so he can be our foundation, and his Word can be our foundation. And we need to go to the Word to find the answers that we have for not only ourselves, but the people that we might be talking to on a day-to-day basis concerning the Lord. Let's see here. It says, Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Well, defense is where we get our English word for apologetics. I think it's apologia is what they call it or something. Since I'm not a Greek guy, I don't know that for sure, but I do know that's where we get our word. I don't know the pronunciation. That's what I mean for sure. What that means is that we need to understand what we believe why we believe it, and we need to understand how to tell that to other people and articulate it to other people in a humble and biblical manner. That when we tell somebody that we believe that Jesus created and God created and the Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in it, then we need to understand why we believe that. We don't have to be a great theologian. We don't have to be somebody that understands the deepest, deepest secrets that are within Scripture. As a matter of fact, God would be really happy if we understood the surface of what's in Scripture, if we understood just the simple things he's trying to show us. You know, some people always want to find out what's deeper there, and sometimes I believe they're looking for something that's not there. You know, what's there is the relationship that you have with the Lord And it's the fellowship you have with the Lord. So our faith is in fellowship, and our faith is also in the foundation of the Word, which is what founds us. It's what makes us firm believers. It's what makes us help be able to stand on solid ground. So when you're defending the faith, you're not just out there fighting with people. You're presenting truth to them. That's what you're doing. And you're understanding that the place that God has put you He's put you there for a reason. And the reason is to give him glory and to give him honor. And that's what we all want to do. We want to give God glory and honor. As a matter of fact, he did this to Paul in the book of Philippians. In the book of Philippians, you remember Paul when he went to Philippi, he got thrown in prison. And you remember him and Silas were in prison. And, and, you know, they were down in there. And Silas was complaining about Paul getting them put in prison, right? No. 
Silas and Paul were singing at midnight and they were offering up prayers and they were singing hymns and psalms and spiritual stuff. And the doors of the prisons just broke down. There's a jailer outside that's going to kill himself. And he says, Paul says to him, he says, don't do it. He says, we're all still here. And the ultimate result of that was that that jailer and all of his family were saved. So he was in that prison not only to glorify God, but he was able to present truth and the gospel to that prison guard and his family, and they were all saved because of it. But even further than that, when you go to his letter to the Philippians, he is writing from Rome, and he's in jail, basically. He's in a, on house arrest, I know. 24-7, though, he has guards taking care of him, making sure he doesn't go anywhere. And uh, Paul uh, is there because God put him there. He says this, he says, The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my change, but the latter out of love. Paul said, there's a lot of people that say because I'm in jail that I'm not authentic. They say because I'm in jail, I shouldn't be preaching Christ. And, but Paul goes on to say this. He says, I know that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. He understood that the reason he was chained to the guards was so he could defend the gospel. And not only did he understand that, but in Philippians 1.13, it said it had become evident to the whole palace guard and all the rest that my chains were in Christ. He wasn't there because he was a criminal. He was there because he loved the Lord and because he presented truth to people and because he wanted to point him to eternal life is what he wanted to do. Paul understood that. The word uh, appointed there is a military term that had been used uh, for a military soldier that is placed on duty to do a specific thing. So Paul was placed on duty specifically to proclaim Jesus as Lord, to write letters to the Philippians, to let all of the palace guard and everybody around there know that he was there for Christ, not because he was a criminal. And Paul understood that, and he was aware of that, so guess what he did? He glorified God in all that he did. He glorified him in that prison. I'm just telling you, man, if I was in prison, I'm not sure I could do that. I'd be going, get me out of here, God. I'm not sure I could. Until you're in that situation, you don't know what you would do, but I would pray that I would glorify God. I would pray that I would try to figure out why God has put me there, why he's appointed me there, and what he wants me to do. Well, the question for you is, where has God appointed you for the defense of the gospel. The foundation of your faith needs to be presented to people. You need to tell people the good news. You need to share with them that there is eternal life and that it's not just available to you. It's not just to these people that come to church on Sundays. It is to any person who would believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died for their sins. Understanding what we believe, like I said, can only come through a study of God's Word. We need to look at God's Word. We need to believe Scripture. We need to believe from Genesis, Genesis to Revelation, every word that's in the Bible. God created the earth in six literal days. If I ever get an opportunity, we will have something on that, you know, that I, can, I will be happy. I had the, the, just the great opportunity to do that with the youth on the beach this year. And it was just such a pleasure to 
be able to study God's word and to see how he created the earth in six literal days. And I believe it fully and I believe it completely that he did that. And I believe fully and completely that he's gone to prepare a place for us. Every single person that's in here, he's preparing a place for you, whether you accept it or not is another question. God has gone to do that. He's away. He's working on it. He's working on a building. Part of the building is us. These portable temples that are walking around, while we're sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts and we're spending time with him and we're studying his word and we're praying and we're getting to know him and we're fellowshipping with him and we're sacrificing our lives to him, God is working on us. He's going, yeah. He's like, that is the work I want to do. He says, you disappoint me all the time, but when I look at you, I see my son, and that's the work I want to do. All I see is my blood of my son, and it covers all those sins you do, so I want you to work and do the things that I've called you to do. Understanding what you believe can only come through a study of God's word. I've already said that, but 2 Timothy 2.15 says, to be diligent to present yourself, approve to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That means that we need to be prepared to provide answers. That means that we need to understand that truth never changes, truth is not conditional, and there's no part of this word that's untrue. Because if I take this Bible and I say, okay, guys, we're going to start marking out passages that we don't agree with in this Bible. The problem with that is where do you stop? If I start in Genesis and I say, ah, six days, I don't really believe that, cross it out. God created them male and female, and they don't believe that, cross it out. I believe God created molecules to a monkey and to a man, that's what I believe. That's, I don't want to get over there because I'll stay over there if I get over there. But the Lord created us in six literal days, and we need to understand that the only way that we're going to find out what God did and what he's doing in our life is by being a diligent student of the word. And diligent means that we're zealous, we're persistent, uh, we're accomplishing the goal that we've got, and our goal is to become more like him, to study the word, to present ourselves before the Lord as an approved workman. I study the word not just where I can get smarter because I'm not very smart. But I study the word where I can understand God more. I study the word so when he calls me up on the telephone, he goes, hey, 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 it's Holy Spirit here. Notification, you know, the little beeps you get on your phone. Holy Spirit notifies me a lot of times. Go, hey, you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should, no, maybe you should change that channel. Not a good channel. That YouTube little ad on the side of the YouTube right there, don't click on it. You ever been there? There's an ad on the side and something you shouldn't be looking at and you're like, Oh, I want to click on it. I want to click on it. And the Lord says, no, you don't want to click on it. And so if I click on it, I can't unsee whatever I saw. I can tell you that. Because I'm not saying I've never clicked on anything on YouTube. But I know better. And the Holy Spirit witnesses with me every day, Ben, don't do it. And sometimes the Holy Spirit witnesses with me and says, do it. You know, whatever it is. But being diligent it's being zealous. It's being persistent. It's giving it your maximum effort to become who God wants you to be. And he wants each one of you to be effective servants of the gospel, effective servants of his. He wants you to do it in whatever manner that he's called you to do it in. If you're in the kitchen, that's where he wants you to do it. If you're in your prayer closet praying on the floor, that's where he wants you. If you're in this band up here, that's where he wants you. He wants you 
if you're just offering up your home, which is a big sacrifice for small groups on Sundays or Mondays or whatever day it is, God wants you to be diligent. He wants you to be an approved workman. He wants you to accomplish the goals that he has for you and do it with maximum effort. And he says, don't be ashamed. He said, rightly divide the word of truth. And you know what rightly dividing is? That's cutting it straight. B knows what that is. It's cutting a line exactly the way it's square, the way it should be. That's what Masons would say it's making that line perfectly straight. If I lay brick, it's going to be, you know, however. If I put up a wall, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not as bad as Thad now. That it, that's, that's not comparing it to much, is it? Because I know Thad picks up a hammer and says, now, which end of this is the... I'm sorry, Thad, wherever you are, I apologize. Picking on the pastor, and he's not even here. At least I didn't go to the football thing. Uh, cutting it straight means that you are like a skilled carpenter or a skilled mason who actually takes... I don't want to say pride, who actually cares about the product that you put out. You want that line straight because you're cutting it. Now, I don't care if it's going to be covered up with trim. You want that line of mortar to be straight because you're a skilled mason. Well, that's the same thing with our Christian life. We need to not be ashamed. We need to be rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to divide it in the way that only God can show us how to divide it. Cut it straight. That's what we need to do. When I do carpentry, when I do, I build a wall, I'm so happy there's wide trim and caulk. Because I just can't cut straight. My business partner, he can make a piece of furniture and he can cut something and you couldn't put a piece of paper in between anything that he had. I mean, it is just solid as a rock. It is straight as it can be. And if it's not right, he'll sand it down where it's better. So, that's the call that we've got is that we need to be diligent. We need to be ready to present ourselves approved to the Lord. And we need to believe this, that all scripture is inspired by God. And that means that it's God-breathed. That means that God didn't accidentally write down the scripture that you're reading. God specifically wrote down the scripture and his intention was whatever was in that word right there. All scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So what? That the man of God may be adequately equipped for good work. That's what we're supposed to be doing is doing good work for the Lord. This is after we're saved, after we're justified. Works get us nowhere in salvation. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. I'm fixing to get there because we've got to move on. You've got to believe that God's word has the answers to life. I've given this to the youth. There's four basic questions that I think we need to answer in life. One is origin. Where did I come from? Two is meaning. Why am I here? Why did God put me here? Three is morality. What's good, what's evil, and how do I know it? It's in the word of God. That's where it's at. And then when this is all over, when it's done... Where am I going when I die? Do you not want to know those things? Well, those things are answered in the Word of God. We may have answered a few of them today. All of these answers can be found there. And if we're diligently studying the Word of God, we're going to find the answers to these four basic questions. But here's the really good part. 
This is the foundation of our part, of our faith, is the Word of God. The fellowship of our faith is with the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts, where we're submitting ourselves to God, where we're sacrificing ourselves to God. But you know what? We've got a future for our faith. And the future of our faith is also in this same verse. It says, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you. The interesting thing there to me is who asks, and why would they ask? If someone asks you about the hope that is in you, there must be something going on in your life that has indicated to them that you're different. The Bible says that you might be an alien, you might be a stranger, is what it says. If you are a person of humility, you're a person of forgiveness, you're a person of joy, you're a person of peace, you're a person of long-suffering, that's different from the world, from others. If prayer becomes important to you that to the point that it's the first thing that you do instead of the last thing that you do, then you're different. You're different from the world. You start acting like an alien, you start acting like a stranger of this world because you don't believe in the principalities of this world and they are not your own. God, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Lord of the heaven and the earth, is who you serve. So don't be surprised if you're living differently that somebody at some point in time asks you about the hope and then the opportunity comes. You can tell them about it. You can tell them about the hope that you have and only you have. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We've got a hope that's alive. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a God that was resurrected. He was resurrected from the grave just like Scripture said that he would be. It's true. It's in Scripture. Study it. Study it. Rightly divide the truth there. Understand that the day is coming when we're going to be with the Lord in heaven and that even though we face various trials here on this earth, we can look past what's going on here today into eternity and go, you know, one day I'm going to have a glorified body because God's going to, and one day I'm going to be like him. That doesn't mean I'm going to be God, but I'm going to have a body like him. My body's going to become eternal. That's what's going to happen. So we have a future, and we have a future that is unbelievable because we're going to be with God's perfect lamb in the new Jerusalem. Hope here means confident optimism. It doesn't mean like, I hope I get to go to the game on Sunday or Saturday, if you're college football. I hope I get to go to wherever you go, the dive trip this weekend. I hope I do. Well, it might happen. It might not happen. This hope here is as certain as if it's happened already. The living hope is the gift of salvation that comes to you by grace through faith. And that's the important part. The really important part is that we receive God's grace through faith. And we need to share this hope with the world, a lost and dying world. It's the hope that I have. It's the hope that you have if you know him. We need to tell them that we serve a God who is risen and who right now sits at the right hand of the Father because 
his work is done. He's given us the gift of salvation. That's what he's done. Now, we need to do this with meekness and with fear. Meekness is a mild disposition. It's our attitude of holding out the gift of hope that was given to us by God to other people. It's not beating them with your God stick. That's what I call it. Some people really get into telling people what they're doing wrong and that they're sinners, and they are, and we need to let them know that. But you don't approach them first thing with that. This verse here means you're going to give them some hope, and we're going to do it in a humble manner. Not that, hey, I'm saved and you're not. You need to know him. Well, they do need to know him. But they need to know him by you witnessing to them, not by you turning them off with everything that you say. Does it mean you water down the truth? Absolutely not. You tell them the truth. You be sure they understand that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. This is the gift of God, lest any of us would boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This gift that's secured for us through Jesus Christ and it is eternal, is reserved for us in heaven. It says actually in 1 Peter uh, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 4, I think. When we go into eternity, we're going to step outside the bounds of time. Time will no longer be significant. When God stepped into... Uh, the place that he decided to create the earth and he said, let there be light and he said, you know, let there be, you know, ground and continents and water and all this kind of stuff right here and the earth started spinning and suddenly there was a sun later on in, in the creation and everything. That's when time began. Time was not before then. God lives outside of time. When this earth is destroyed, if you go reading the book of Revelation, I think in chapter 21, it says there'll be no sun, there'll be no moon, because Jesus is the light, God is the light. And you know what that means, too? There's no time. So I've had people say to me, man, I don't know what we're going to do in heaven. We're going to get bored. I'm like, no, you're not. There's no time. We don't understand what no time is. You know, uh, Einstein's relativity says that time, space, and matter... You know, they have something to do with each other, and they've kind of proven that with a lot of tests. Well, let me tell you this. When space is gone, when matter is gone, and when there's a new heaven and a new earth, there's no time. We're not sitting here. I'm not going to be with Chris going, Chris, what are we going to do tomorrow? There is no tomorrow. There's only now. You won't be tired. You won't be hungry. You won't be sleepy. You won't be sick. You'll be with the Creator. The creator of heaven and earth will be there and you'll be glorifying him every day and you will never get tired of it. Let me tell you what, I don't deserve this kind of hope. I don't deserve it. I never have deserved it. God saved me completely and fully by his own grace. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God said, the wages of sin is death, and it means it's eternal separation. It means a soldier's wages. It means the payment that you got to pay to get out of your sin is death. You got to die, and you got to die eternally. You'll be dead forever. 
you'll be dead and separated from God. You'll be in hell. That's where you'll be. It's a whole other study. But that's what it means. It means you won't be with the Lord. It's serious. It's a serious thing. This is a fundamental truth for the believers, and I know many of you know them. But in a group this size, and maybe some of the people that might be listening online, I know that there's got to be somebody that does not know these truths. They don't know that I broke God's law. And God's law means that I'm not perfect and I did something wrong. I stole, I lied, I spoke the word, his name uh, in vain. Um, I looked upon some woman with lust or something like that. All these things are sins. They're things that we commit. And there's a penalty that's got to be paid. And here it is plain and simple. We broke God's law. And it's just like if you went to court and a judge brought you before the bench and he says, Van, he says, my understanding is that you stole a car. And I'm like, yes, sir, I stole a car. And he says, well, he said, you admitted, so you're guilty. And he says, you know what? In this country, stealing a car, the penalty is death. Because you're not in America, you're in another country. So the penalty is death. You've broke the law, and your penalty is death. And we require payment. Well, then if I tell the judge, I say, but judge, let me tell you something. I've done all these good things. I've gone to church all my life. I give money to Jimmy Hell Mission. Man, I have put a roof on the house for a widow before, no charge. How's that, judge? Well, the judge is not going to let me off. He doesn't expect to let me off. You don't expect him to let me off. You expect justice, right? I stole your car. If it's your car, you want to know why I stole your car, and you want your car back, but I burned it when I was gone with it, so you're not getting your car back. So I've got to pay for it, and the only payment in this country is death. And it's required, and I've got to pay it. At this point, I'm hopeless. What do I do? What do I do? Well, I've already asked him, Judge, you know, all these good things I did, don't they matter? This is not in this case. They don't matter at all. I'm stunned. There's nothing else I can do. Suddenly, the judge leans over to me, and he says, hey, come here. I said, what? He says, you wouldn't by chance be interested in a pardon, would you? And I'm like, a pardon? In great disbelief, I say, yeah, I would like a pardon. So he says, well, we got that available to you. So he steps down off his bench. He takes off his robe. He puts on a crown of thorns, and he goes to the cross and he dies for my sins. And he says, they're paid for. Your debt has been paid. He says, you don't have to worry about that anymore. It's taken care of. That's who God is. That's what God wants to do for you, and that's what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable, that God would do that. Do you believe it? Do you believe God would do that? He's done it for many of you. Are you telling other people that God's done that? 
He has done that. We're almost done. In Romans 6, 23, the verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, you know, the wages of sin is death, and we've all sinned, but God's got a gift for us. It's eternal life, and it's only through his son, Jesus Christ. And in John uh, 14, 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So there's one way, and that's it. It's by God the Father. It's through his son. That's the only way. But here is the most awesome verse that you could ever imagine. It's the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, when it said he made him, who is he? Well, if you look in the preceding verse, it's God, and then it says, made him to become sin. Who is him who became sin for us? It's him who knew no sin. That narrows it down to how many people? One, that's right, just Jesus Christ. He is the only one who knew no sin. And he went to the cross for our sins, and he died on the cross, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, there's a word there called imputed. And what that means is that our sins were credited to Christ. He's a sinless lamb of God. He's never sinned. He never will sin. He never has sinned. But God took my sins and they, he gave them to Jesus. And he said, man's sins belong to you. He said, they're yours. You're paying for it. It's just like if you have a debit card and that debit card has a certain amount of money in the bank and that money represents all your sins past, present, and future, which, by the way, they were all future to Christ. My sins were, were all future. It means all you've got to do is take that debit card, swipe it, and believe that he died for your sins. And then this amazing thing that happens, there's another thing that's imputed to you. And what's imputed to you is the righteousness of God. And what that means is he takes his righteousness and he puts it on top of you and he says... You're righteous, not because of who you are. He says, but because of who I am and what I did on the cross. That makes you righteous. I don't deserve fellowship with the Lord. I don't deserve the foundation of God's fellowship. I don't deserve the foundation of faith. I don't deserve the future of my faith. But because of him... I can freely accept it. It's not just a simple prayer you pray. It's a lifestyle. You receive the Lord. He comes into your heart. He justifies you completely and fully. And then sanctification begins, and he works on you all your life to make you who he wants you to be in him. And if you're not becoming who he wants you to be, you're going to be miserable. That Holy Spirit, that notification factor is going to notify you on a regular basis that you're not worthy. But you know what? You'll remember, even though I'm not worthy, he who died on the cross for my sins, he's worthy. I'm going to read you one more verse. All right, it's actually a couple of verses, but it's in 1 Peter 
chapter uh, 1, verses 6 through 8. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with inexpressible and full glory receiving the end of your faith, and the end of your faith is salvation of your souls. Do you know him? Have you confessed your sins to him? It's more than just a loving God that loves you and died on a cross. It's a just judge that sits on the bench and says, those wages are required and they have to be paid. Have you accepted the debit card that he offers you? I hope you have. And I hope you're living daily by it. And I hope that you're praising him for what he did for you on the cross. And I hope you thank him for his imputed righteousness. I hope you're seeking him every day. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, God, for the fact that you're a merciful God. Not only that, Father, we pray uh, today for those that don't know you. We lift up to you those that might be listening by way of uh, the stream, those that are sitting here, that if they don't know you, Father, if they've not committed you to be the Savior of their lives, that they might do that that they might start experiencing the fellowship of faith that can only be found in you, that they might start experiencing the foundation of their faith, and then more than that, that they might look forward to the future of their faith, Father. Father, there's many people here that would be willing to discuss the gospel with other people that don't know them. So if there's one of you that don't know them, just grab one of the elders, grab just many of the believers that are here at the church, and I'm sure they'll be happy to give you a reason for the hope that is within them. And I promise you they'll do it with meekness. And they'll do it with reverence towards God, the fear that they should have that the thing they're holding out is so valuable, Lord. It is beyond any gold that we could give anybody. It's eternal life through uh, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. that fits with uh, what Van was talking about and I don't think it's an action it just popped into my head this morning in the shower <laughs> before I was coming but as I was sitting there listening I was like well I gotta tell that story uh, me and Holly were it's about fellowship it's about um, you know the fact that we hold on to things uh, sometimes they're sins sometimes they're good things but we don't want God to have them because we're scared of what God will do with them we're scared of where we're going to end up in life when we hold on so we hold on uh, there was a, we, me and Holly were watching the Olympics, and I've never forgotten it. It was 2000, either two or four, I can't remember, but it was the Summer Olympics, and there was this girl. She was diving, I forget her name, but she was an American diver. And she was going up against the Chinese. And the Chinese team was just this juggernaut. They had won diving forever. So this girl is nailing her dives, and it's just progressing. And the Chinese are kind of messing up a little here. And the announcers, as we're watching it, we're getting into it because it's starting to get like, hey, this girl may win something. And she's an American, of course, so we're into it. And uh, 
And the announcers are like the people who know diving, you know. They're like, man, you guys watching, y'all don't realize this is like when the Americans uh, beat the Russians in, in hockey back in 1980. I mean, this is one of the great, I mean, the Chinese, this girl has no business being here, this American girl. Well, she just keeps nailing, dive after dive. The Chinese keep screwing up a little bit, a little bit. Well, she wins the gold. And she's standing there, and she's kind of emotional, and she's, she's got her swimsuit on and a towel wrapped around her. And of course, they interview her. They go up and they're like, hey, what, what? You just won the gold. It's the biggest upset all time in diving. What do you have to say? And she's, she's fighting tears and she says, I just told the Lord that I, I didn't care. I just wanted him and he could do what he wanted. And then she just burst into tears and she can't even talk anymore. <laughs> and in that moment, I was like, oh. Every Christian watching that broadcast was like, oh, I know what just happened. This girl's a believer. And she was holding on to that diving. She loved it. And so there's a lot of you in the audience who experienced this. You're holding on to it. You love it. But she gave it to the Lord and said, you know what? You're more important. And guess what the Lord did with it? He pressed it down, made the cup overflow, and gave it right back to her. Let me show you what I can do is what the Lord said. So if you're holding on to something, just by way of encouragement, if you're holding on to something and you're worried what God's going to do with it, test him. Give it to him. Trust me, you're going to be impressed with what the Lord can do with things a lot more than you will be with what you can do with things. Well, there was one who perfectly illustrated that. That's Jesus, right? He was faithful. He was faithful all the way to the cross, and because of that, uh, he, was ro- he was raised from the dead, right? And that's what this song we're going to close with is about. It's a song of victory. Um, it's one we haven't done before. It's been out a while, though, so if you guys know the words you want to sing with us, feel, feel free. We're going we're gonna to sing this song resurrected. The fear that held 
final breath upon the cross is now alive in me. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that uh, because of Christ, we have the victory. 
but that, uh, as that, as a, I mean, as a, a man was saying, Lord, we, uh, we are not without hope, right? Our hope is solid and secure, but nothing to do with us, only, only because of what Jesus has done. So we're grateful, Lord. We're grateful for everything. We're grateful for the weather. We're grateful for our lives. We're grateful for the blessings. We're even grateful for the trials, Lord, because we know that you use those in our lives to make us more like the one we love, Christ. And so we just praise you and give you the glory. We pray that you give us a good week. Pray for um, uh, Thad as he is uh, on his way home, Lord, that you protect him, give him safety. And I can't leave without uh, lifting up those in Florida, Lord, um, uh, down in Central Florida who've been hit so hard. I know uh, my my sister lives in Orlando, and uh, we have many contacts down there in the Tampa area. South Florida. So we lift them up to you, Lord. Pray that you would just help them to recover and that your name would be brought glory through this. You'd, uh, you'd uh, be able to use that, which we know you will, uh, to bring glory to your name. And just bless us this week. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. <laughs>